Hello and welcome to Red Voices. A pleasure to have you with us for this, the first part of our review of Manchester United's 1988-99 season, also known as the Treble. Don't know if you've heard of it. You and Rich and Paul on hand to provide you with some light relief in these troubled times. Pleasure to have you with us. Paul, how are we? I'm good, thanks to you, Ian. Obviously, circumstances are pretty weird at the moment, a bit scary. Um, but this hopefully will be a nice distraction for, for people out there. And us too, yeah. Rich, how are you? I'm good. I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? I'm not bad, not bad at all. Yeah, just trucking on, I guess, as it were. I mean, segueing on to the actual topic of discussion for this evening. God, what an amazing topic we've given ourselves for these next few episodes. I have been going back through the treble DVD, looking at match highlights, looking at reports, looking at all sorts of information and little stats and tidbits. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to get stuck into this. Yeah, should be a really good one, shouldn't it? We just even talking just now before recording, and there's all sorts of things you remember that you that you completely forgotten about it. Yeah, Paul, let's start off with you. Summer of 1998. What do you kind of remember about the treble year in general as a United fan? What sort of time and place were you in? It was a weird one for me because, without getting way too personal, my mum and dad were going through a divorce at the time, and I I was drinking quite a lot. I mean, I was at seventeen, eighteen, so I was drinking anyway, you know, that sort of age. So United was just this huge distraction for me. It was a real escape. I mean, looking back, I was probably quite depressed, really. And um, United just became this this massive escape for me. Absolutely unbelievable season, obviously, which we'll, we'll go through, but. I think in the, in the build up to it in the summer of '98, obviously Arsenal were on top at that point. And you're thinking, what United are going to do? And it was there was quite a lot of upheaval, wasn't there? Palace to McLare out. Um, we brought in Yap Stam, who wasn't particularly well known, and then York, Dwight York from Villa. And I wasn't convinced about Dwight York. I didn't didn't think he was really what we needed. And I mean, I was obviously proven brilliantly wrong. Fergie Masterstroke uh-huh. again. <laughs> yeah. Rich, what about you? Yeah, I don't drag the pot down or anything, but um, I was kind of in a difficult place as well. I was kind of going through a period of poor health, and so I. But the, the flip of that was that I got to see far more of the triple season than I would have done had I not. And so, yeah, I mean, it's funny when we've spoken before about how football could often be a, an escape for you, just as just as Paul did then. It was kind of the same for me. Stupendously lucky that most of my childhood and my early adulthood was just involved United winning. Yeah. After them being terrible for the first twelve or thirty years of my life, but yeah, so I mean, it was it was just just an incredible season that came at a really opportune time in terms of in terms of my well being, I guess. Yeah, I was eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> well, well, no, admittedly, <laughs> you said that with such smugness. <laughs> well, no, I didn't. Well, okay, maybe. Uh, I mean, I was going through some tricky times in uh, high school at the time, so yeah. I remember. It was again, as you both said there. You know, football's got this incredible ability when you're going through difficult periods in your life to offer such a focused escape. You know, it's very easy to switch off for ninety minutes or a couple hours and just, you know, especially if you go into games too. I mean, yeah. I wasn't at that time, but United was something to cling on to, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was such a dramatic and all-encompassing season. And you know, going back and doing all this research as well, that's it's just been so amazing to look at the actual context of the summer of 19, how much stuff was going on. You know, it was just before the season started, and a couple of months beforehand, you know, the World Cup over in France. You know, oh, France yeah. won it, of course, with that, 
you know amazing performance against uh, Brazil in the final in Paris. But obviously, the biggest element from a United's perspective was uh, David Beckham's red card against Diego Simeone, oh. you know, in Argentina in that last sixteen game. You know, it, it's easy to think about it now in retrospect, twenty one years later, twenty two years later, I guess, in the summer. But still, the level of vitriol that David Beckham had. I mean. At least, I might be looking at it, it might be relative recency bias, but I can't remember a period where a single England slash United player has come under that much scrutiny and that much bile yeah. for something that's happened in a major tournament. It was incredible. The West Ham game was the was the worst one. I don't even remember. The second game of the yeah. season, the yeah. nil-nil, and I mean, I've I despised West Ham ever since, really. But um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the vitriol, the, there, was, there, was, there were people with like effigies of, Beckham being hung, weren't there, and burning shirts and all this shit. You know, it was absolutely... Some of the headlines as well, wasn't it? Like, there was that famous headline, 10 heroes, one stupid boy, or something something like that. I mean, it was unbelievable, because it was a bit of a celebrity, wasn't it? Obviously, David Beckham. And... But then, like, some of the songs that the United... the uh, away fans would be singing and stuff at Old Trafford about, and I mean... The way he coped with it was absolutely incredible. Mm. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, you know, we'll get to Beckham a little bit later on in this podcast, but yes, uh, certainly unprecedented levels of vitriol towards Beckham, and it was an incredible situation for him to come back into, as you mentioned there in that West Ham game, which again we'll get to in a little while. But I guess for United as a team in particular, looking back at that period, there was just so much up against them and, and Ferguson at that time, you know. Going back to that 98 summer, you know, Arsenal had just pipped United to the league by one point, thanks to United drawing with Newcastle in April on that famous 1-0 defeat at Old Trafford against Arsenal with Marco Vermaas' goal. Uh, Arsenal then went on a two-month-long unbeaten streak and won the FA Cup. Um, we got knocked out of that FA Cup in a fifth-round replay against Barnsley. Barnsley aside, we'd beaten 7-1 several months previously at that mm. stage. And we went out to Monaco in the Champions League. So to set the context, at this point, United were... You would say probably the dominant Premier League team at this stage. You know, the league was, what, five years, six years old at this stage? We'd won it four times up to that point. You know, Cantona had gone, Sheringham would be brought in to try and you know fill that gap, but we were still struggling. We weren't quite making the grade in Europe. Arsene Wenger had just come in, not necessarily completely transformed Arsenal, they were still a good side, but he'd taken them from perennial underachievers in the 90s, at least, to this side that suddenly out of nowhere had just won the double there was so much stacked up against United in that summer as well and as you mentioned Paul you know Yapstam coming in relatively unknown 15 million pounds which I think at the time that was certainly United's uh, most expensive transfer that was smashing our own deal wasn't it? Was a lot it? of money for a defender that mm. wasn't it at the time yeah and one, one who'd been a bit ropey in the World Cup as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. we signed him and I just, I just remember watching him quite closely and thinking this guy's not very good <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's funny how things work out, isn't it? And you mentioned Dwight York as well there, uh, Paul. Uh, one more player that came in, Jesper Blomqvist, yeah. over from Sweden. Uh, I didn't actually, I think it might have been AFK Gothenburg. But I didn't he came from Palmer, hand, I think, didn't he? I think he'd gone to Italy and hadn't really Palmer. worked out, and then he'd be signing from Palmer. Yeah, I mean, that was by far the cheapest of our three deals. That was only 4.4 million, but still, yeah. Another thing that came in from that season as well was Roy Keane returning from 10 months out with cruciate ligament damage. Now, I completely spaced on that mm, coming into the that. treble season. Yeah. yeah, I mean, having Keane, I mean, having lost Canton the following seasons, mm. then lose Keane for 10 months of that following season, it's no wonder United were struggling not and to, to win and the trophies in that to year. And still only lose it by one point as well without 
Roy Keane. Yeah. Wow. I think people forget as well that, that Arsenal game where we lost to um, the Overmars goal, we had a ton of injuries, so many injuries. And it was really kind of a, a bit of a patchwork team for, a, for about a month or two at the end of that season. So, mm. I mean, to have actually finished as close to Arsenal as we did ultimately was quite a quite an achievement, although it didn't feel like it at the time. Yeah. It's classic for well, it didn't yeah. necessarily. Yeah. It didn't necessarily feel like that much of an achievement at the time, considering no, exactly. that the first time we played them in the Charity Shield in August of the summer of 98, we got hammered 3 0 by them, Rich. Yeah, and Stan was once again rubbish. Um, I think he got completely mm. rinsed by Ian Wright in that game. That kind of form he had. I mean, nowadays we don't expect players perhaps to hit their, you know, really adjust to the, the Premier League for sometimes a few months, even, even almost a season. But I remember being deeply disappointed at the time that, that he looked so poor and he, he did, didn't really find form for about six weeks but yeah United kind of started the the season or the competitive season in, in a pretty bad way and didn't really get out of that kind of walking in treacle a bit for, for about six months not six months four months yeah it took a yeah, while it did. didn't it this was in the days like the pre-Mourinho days obviously when you could afford to have a, a poor start to a season and still go on mm. to win the league whereas you know that's all changed now hasn't it Absolutely, yeah. I mean, talk about United's start to the season. There was that notable 3 0 defeat. Obviously, it was only Charity Shield, but still something of a marker to come down and get beaten that badly by, you know, at that point, the best team in the country. Yeah. And you mentioned that slow start, Rich. Uh, the first game of the season in August was a 2 2 draw with Leicester City. Notable for the fact United actually went down 2 0 to Emil Heskey and Tony Cotty goals. But then it turned into the David Beckham show, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, sharing him. Sharon pulled one back with his ass from a uh, from Beckham shot, which was I suppose I suppose a good yeah. way to start the season. Um, and then yeah, Beckham's Beckham's ridiculous late free kick would be the first of of many, very many ridiculous free kicks over the next few years. But it really mm. felt at that time that United had just just that start was, it was really disappointing, and it kind of followed on into the next game at at West Ham. United just didn't really get going in the season for for quite a while. But I mean I, I wonder I wonder looking back now just how important that, that ninety fourth minute goal on the first day of the season actually was in the context of United season. Um, I mean ultimately, you know, the race was that close all the way to the end and the the knock that confidence might have taken if we'd lost at home on our in our first game of the season. So to actually rescue a point in the way that we did, as late as we did, was probably almost as, incre- as, as important a point as we got all season in the league. I think that because United have been scoring late goals for years, obviously, hadn't we, under Ferguson? Mm. Go back to that Sheffield Wednesday match in the night, Steve Bruce scored a couple of goals late on. But like you say, Rich, coming into the season with a slightly uneasy vibe around the club and um, and then obviously losing to Arsenal on the Charity Shield yeah that the lateness of that goal and the, and the ferocity of the free kick it sort of set the tone a little bit and just sort of instilled or kept that that self-belief instilled in the players and the fans as well and there was a hell of a feeling that, that nice fourth minute I mean they always are aren't they but it mm. really did feel like you know pretty huge it's just the quality of that that free kick as well. I mean, we got used. That's insane. To, I was watching. I've, oh. I've been watching the early sort of seasons back at all of United's goals, and just I don't think we we really appreciated, or maybe we did appreciate. I can't remember, but but just the the volume of incredible free kicks and set pieces that Beckham took, and that it was incredible. I mean, wasn't it? he was thirty yards out from that free kick, thirty yards yeah. out, and he's put it in the bottom in the bottom corner, literally the, probably a space of about six inches. Yeah, it was incredible. It's as close as like a cruise missile or whatever yeah. you can possibly get. You know, Roberto Carlos was all right. And all, but you, you see some great free kick takes over the years, but 
I'm not sure anyone's been quite as consistent and brilliant as David Beckham. He was no. so good. And on that season particularly, he was just on fire. Yeah. Well, this was his season, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. We're going to be talking about this for uh, a good chunk of this podcast, but having gone back through these highlights, seen the goals, seen the incredible amount of crosses, pinpoint deliveries yeah. constantly, sometimes with barely any time to set himself, sometimes first time without even taking a touch. Uh, he, he came back from France with a fire in his belly. Yeah. and he had, I think he went for a couple of months without scoring a goal, but that the amount of assists he got, 23 assists that season from right wing. He was just fantastic. And Rich, you mentioned that going up to Upton Park for the second game of the season, which was a, t- a nil-nil draw. The effigies, the anti-Beckham shirts, mm. the sentiment. The only other things that the, that game was notable for were for Neil Ruddock sticking his arm up and somehow getting away with a very, mm. very obvious handball yeah. which VAR would totally have called up yeah. on and Dwight York making his league debut mm. now again this is something that changes completely when you you know you, you have the the period of years that we've had in between these games watching these games again you know we, we were speaking about Beckham we're going to lead into September now and Dwight York's uh, first game at Old Trafford in which he bagged a brace along with Solskjaer for a 4-1 win against Charlton how good was Dwight York in this treble season for United he was ridiculous, wasn't he? Yeah, he was absolutely incredible. One of the things that's notable about that summer was kind of, was the, the fact that United were linked with Patrick Cliver for so long. Yeah, my summer was just spent refreshing CFAX to see if to mm. see if United had actually signed him. The millennials' mm. internet. It was yes, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then to, uh, to to sign Dwight York after that, and it, it felt like a bit of a come down. It really did. It, it felt you know that we'd really sort of taken a step down with that in, in, in quality, but then. I think almost from that, that, that Charlton game, the first his first home game, you suddenly realised that there was a far better player in there than than, than we'd given him credit for. And he never he just never stopped, did he? He was just he was just top class from the first the first minute he stepped on the pitch. And was that am oh. I right in saying that because we we chatted a little bit about this before the pod, but am I right because I know Andy Cole was sort of out of favour, wasn't he? Mm. But he didn't start this game, I think Cole, did he? So we didn't no. really start seeing the, that partnership that obviously blossomed between Cole and York so later on in the season and I mean, but York was, I mean, like I said before, I really wasn't that sure about him. I wasn't sure he was a top-level player, really. But, that, I mean, I was at that game, that, that, that home game against Charlton, and, wow, I mean, you, you just, I think it's always important, isn't it, for, for new players to, to, to bed in quickly, and particularly for strikers to get a goal, to get two goals in your first game. Wow, amazing. And he went on to be an unbelievable player, absolutely incredible mm-hmm. player for United. And I didn't see it in him, mm-hmm. and again, you, you know, Ferguson saw it, and, and the, the, the the telepathic relationship that he built up with with Cole was was it's just a joy to watch. Mm. Yeah, it was really something special, wasn't yeah. it? And York carried that on for the next game against Coventry City, which was a relatively routine two 0 home win. Uh, Ronnie Onsen, Ronnie Onsen, remember him with a yeah. deflected effort for the second deeply underrated player. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I mean he was he was a, he was a, I think he was fantastic for what, where we signed him from. Signed from Fenerbahce for a relatively small fee, and he ended up having a really, really high-class partnership with with the Upstam for a lot of the time. Yeah. And then, and then later on, after that, we we started using him as a, almost as a kind of utility midfielder, didn't we? And he even did a decent job in there. So I think he's kind of one of the unsung heroes of this of the treble season. It was one of those players, wasn't it, Bruno? Who sort of it felt like people, a lot of people, sort of made their minds about him to begin with. Right, he's not good enough. They never really changed their minds, no matter how well he played. Now, I agree with you, Rich. I think he was really underrated and, and mm. an integral part, uh, integral cog in the, in the in the machine really this season. Mm. Now, going to our uh, let's have a look. How many games are we into this season at this stage? One, two, 
Fifth game of the season for United, a visit to Highbury. Now, a daunting prospect at the best of times. At this stage, having just played Barcelona in the Champions League in our first group game and then going off to Highbury, was a bit of a tall order, Rich. And we got absolutely hammered. Nicky Butt yeah. got a red card. Tony Adams, Nicholas Anelka and Freddie Jungberg. Jungberg getting his first goal for Arsenal. Yeah. United ended that game 10th at that stage. Obviously, as uh, Paul said, there was the element that you could afford to start the league season quite slowly. But yeah, a bit of a disastrous game over in North London. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I was I was at that game. My dad at the time worked with a, a big Arsenal family. He used to get us both Arsenal tickets, tickets to see United at Arsenal every year. My dad didn't even like football. <laughs> he, thought, he, he thought we were kind of bonding or something. So that was, it was cool. Not at that game, you weren't. No, I wasn't. No, we weren't. The thing about that game was, and I, I remember it a lot at the time, it, it was the obviously the charity shield had gone very badly for United, but you kind of write that one off as a... As a friendly, but after what had happened the previous season, Arsenal had just got the edge, and so this was really built up as a game that would really show where the two clubs were this season and who was going to be the preeminent force. And the reality was that Arsenal just completely wiped the floor with us. Yeah, it was a comprehensive defeat, wasn't it? Mm. It was. I mean, Stan was really poor again. Just United were poor from from, from front to back, and it was it was actual it was a cakewalk really. And that I think it was Limburg got the last the final goal, and by that by that point they're. The Arsenal fans were having a party, and United just hadn't turned up at all. And I just remember being absolutely furious. Yeah, I was yeah. furious too. It was one of those games where we had them all every so often under Fergie because the standard under Fergie, obviously, and the consistency was so good, so so high. Through, you know, year after year after year, but every single season there'd be one or two games that just stood out like sore thumbs that were just horrific to watch as a United fan. Mm. And they just, you know, they played didn't turn up. They just looked leggy disorganised, like they didn't want to be there, and that was one of them. And against Arsenal, you're just thinking, come on, lads, what the hell's going on? And just to make it even better, mm. yeah, I mean, just to say that, how do you how do you come back from that yeah. when you play Liverpool four days later? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of recollection of this game. I can't, I can't remember why, but but to turn it round... It's because it's not the most up. famous United-Liverpool game from that season, mm. that's why. Well, no, there, there are so many games from that season that it almost compels into comparison, doesn't it? But but looking, at, looking back at it, to... to kind of come through that game and they were a decent Liverpool side at the time they were really good, really good players to actually turn it around and to beat them at home um, really dislikable Liverpool side though they were a really I mean you know you never like Liverpool obviously but they were just, just like, you know McAteer and you know players like that just really despised mm. them yeah yeah, so I mean, well, it was, was McAteer who did the handball setting up Dennis Irwin's first half penalty indeed. so I guess we can thank him for that yeah, yeah. bit of a flipper wasn't it it's like he's he kind of rolled the ball down his arm, didn't he? It was quite, a, <laughs> he did, it was quite yeah. impressive, yeah. Wonder what it's like he was trying to fly with his he arm. Was. He's one of those ones where you just flat. wondered what on earth the defender was actually trying to do at the time. Mm. Well, it was a Cole score where um, Cole sort of opened... He did that classic Andy Cole thing where he just sort of opened his body up and placed the ball. He was a player in his pomp, wasn't he, Andy Cole? 98-99. Absolutely on fire. Mm. He was getting there. It was Skulls who got the second one late on. Left uh, Cole actually helped with the break. Yeah, yeah. A collector's item. Ah, uh, yes, that's what, yeah. So that's the end of September sorted out. Paul, now, it, I think we need to give a little bit more context for Arsenal at this stage. You know, as, uh, as Rich has mentioned, obviously, the the way in which Arsenal had walked the, wiped the floor with us in these two games that we played with them so far, one of uh, slightly lesser importance, was a bit concerning. So what was it about Arsenal that made the league sit up and take notice? You know, what made them such a force to be reckoned with? They were just brilliant. 
I mean, they were genuinely brilliant. You remember when uh, Arsene Wenger came into Arsenal and no one knew who he was and he was sort of laughed at. He was a bit of a joke. He called mm. the professor, you know, and, and but he got them playing beautiful football. But they were also, this is this is when they still had players like Tony Adams, you know, and, and Martin Keown, players we despised as United fans at the time. But, mm. you know, they, they weren't just not you know, good and um, pretty to watch. They were they also were, were incredibly aggressive they didn't take any shit. They were they were they were a fantastic, fantastic side with some brilliant players. And I mean, obviously, that was it was it was for me still the best rivalry of the Premier League years. Yeah. Really, the United Arsenal one. I mean, yeah, you've had, you've had. I mean, you know, I just can't think of anything that comes close. Really, you could tell that Wenger and Fergie absolutely despised each other as absolutely. well. Absolutely, and that, yeah. that's what it's all about, isn't it? I don't, I don't think there's been another another rivalry, another manager. No, that they've and actually the Keenan Vieira thing as well. Yeah, I mean the two the two teams and the two clubs did absolutely hate each other for a good period, and that's that's how it should be because you need that yeah. you need that degree of, of jeopardy, don't you? You need that and so closely matched as well. I mean, there were some big results, obviously big defeats for for both teams over the years, but you know, generally they were just so on each other's tails constantly, you know, and and, and the matches were always entertaining. You know, there was never a dull moment. It was it, it was fantastic. It was, it was again, you know, another another privilege to, to see it really. They raised the standard of each other, didn't they? It was. Did, yeah. There've been a few periods in in Premier League history where that's happened, where you've got either two or three teams that are really high level, and they all they they push each other to even even greater uh, yeah. heights. And that was that was one where Arsenal United pushed each other far further yeah. than they might have gone if there hadn't been any competition at the time. And as the season went on, you, you could see you know United just couldn't afford to let anything slip. You know, and, and any time they did, if there was a draw or whatever, you just you thinking, well, that's it. Well, that you know that could very well be it. One of the so, things, yeah. one of the interesting things about the squad that that then these buys that summer is that you know when you start in the season you're thinking why has he got four really high class centre forwards yeah. and why has he got all this and you could see that I think that Fergie was looking back at the previous season when he'd been really been undone by injuries and he was thinking I'm not having that happen again yeah. I'm not allowing that to happen again and he and he he strengthened so that he he had two very good players for for most positions. Um, and well, that was the funny thing that you mentioned there, Rich, is that you know United actually ended the previous season with the most amount of goals scored and the least amount of goals conceded, but still Ferguson felt it wasn't enough. Obviously, yeah. the proof is in the pudding at the actual league table that we didn't beat Arsenal, mm. and you know he felt like he had to strengthen in order to get us over the line in much the same way as that we did with Robin van Persie. You know, we needed that sprinkling of stardust. Exactly, and it, I think it was that competition with Arsenal that actually ended up driving us to the to the treble. Really, I mean, yeah. it was exactly the same. In the FA Cup as well, but I just don't believe that he'd have strengthened the squad to the point he had done had he not felt that he needed to to stay ahead of Wenger. Um, and, yeah, and ultimately, I mean, twenty-five million pounds at that stage. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's still a fair amount of money, but it's a lot. It was a lot of money twenty-one years ago. In it was a lot. It was a lot of money. Summer as well. Yeah, it was, yeah. and and ultimately that it, it allowed us to have the season of our lives. And it's, you, there have been points in in history where Fergie's been deeply challenged and even if he's got a good team he's pushed on further kind of like after the 2007 season as well where it was a particularly strong time for the Premier League football and even though we just won the title Fergie went out and spent a bomb on you know several more quality players and that, I think this was the first example of that of him really being pushed and, and almost being forced towards the European Cup that he hadn't hadn't managed to 
kind of mm. crack at, to that point. Right, moving on to October then. Uh, an interesting start for the first game of the league uh, campaign for that one it was a 3-0 win away at Southampton. Now, the only time I ever think about Southampton when it comes to their previous state in the Dell is that 6-3 loss. And I think mm. it was the 95-96 season where we che- it was so bad that the players complained they couldn't see each other because of the kit and then changed it midway through the game. That's Still lost them, by three goals. One of those performances I was talking about when, where, you know, you have a couple of them every season. And quite often, this, yeah. this, it felt like they were against Southampton or Derby. Mm. That six three, we, we lost the previous game five 0 at Chelsea as well. So we can see eleven oh, goals. No, not Chelsea. Yeah, no, we lost the previous game five. Yeah, we did five nil. Yeah, yeah. So I think we, I think we conceded eleven goals in like in two games. And I think we lost three in a row. So to even sort of to recover from that point, but yeah, the Dell was always a really awkward place to go, wasn't it? Really, really difficult. Horrible kind of really tight little ground with that funny stand at one end that was like not it was not level it all went up but yeah. but yeah it was just one of those old tight grounds wasn't it that, that was quite difficult to go to and quite a small pitch and United always seemed to struggle a little bit there this is the one I think I was thinking about Cole really sort of burst on the scene didn't he because he, he did mm. he had a tough start to the season and there was absolutely no indication that him and York were going to become what they became but they really combined sure it was this game where Cole and it was I don't know if you know what I mean when I say you know when Cole's running through on goal and he sort of just opens up his body a little bit and then places the ball and he's, he's just so good this season because mm. he again with Cole you know he, he was another player who a lot of United fans weren't sure of because he struggled at first at coming to United it was a big big move it was a record transfer fee and this was a season for me where he just really went on to that next level and became like a Probably one of the top strikers in Europe. Well, there was an element, wasn't there, that he was still maybe not paying, but I think the memories of the end of the ninety four ninety five season, all those missed opportunities mm. at Upton Park, were still yeah. sort of playing on the collective consciousness of United fans to a certain extent, wasn't there? And yeah. I think this is the season where he proved a lot of doubters wrong. You know, we're going to get to his probably his most famous goal in a United shirt at the end of this episode. But there's pl- a lot of ways still to go. But yeah, this was the season where he really proved himself in a lot of people's eyes. One more thing to mention about the Southampton game. Jordi Cruyff. Yeah. Now, I completely spaced on the fact that he was part of this treble winning team and he got one of his two goals that season in this game. Yeah. That was quite nice. Same. I, I completely forgot he was even involved. An interesting month for United as well in the sense that we actually scored a buttload of goals. Uh, 13 in four games and we got five of them in the following game at home against Wimbledon uh, let's see we got Andy Cole scoring before we, Jason Yule equalised Giggs with a header just before half time Beckham with a low long drive long range drive after the break and York and Cole with a uh, goal each before the end of the game which put us up to second in the table before a trip to Pride Park for our perennial 90s nightmare team Derby County that wasn't much fun what was it about United and Derby County in the nineties? We just seemed to struggle with them so much. There was there was a terrible two two, wasn't there, where we got repeatedly undone by Rory Delap's long long throws, I seem to remember. But yeah, I mean we didn't we And Paolo one chop. Yeah, exactly. That was well Paolo one chop's the, the scourge of Old Trafford, wasn't he? But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a really funny game. <laughs> That's how he's he, known. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> That's on his passport. That's what people say when they meet him. <laughs> <laughs> It was a really funny going up that Derby one because we, we we scored really close to the end and, and it was just I, I still can't quite understand how that goal crept in. Cruyff just kind of turned and he didn't really catch it very well and he just kind of slowly I have no memory of this slowly game rolled into the corner. Do you know, it just kind of slowly rolled into the into the corner of the net and, and we oh it was really slow. It was slow. Oh, as I hell. do remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It was very well placed. Yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, yeah but I remember because I can't who was, who was their keeper because I just remember thinking, God, how the hell has he not got to that? He's had he's had forever. To, to, was it? He could have just Mark Poom at that time. I can't remember. Mark Poom, mighty Mark Poom. He could have literally just strolled. It felt like he could have just like. You know, had a little sit down <laughs> while he watched the ball trickle towards him, and then and then grab it if he, you yeah. know, really odd. Right, moving on from that night at uh, Pride Park, uh, the last game of the month was yeah. an interesting visit to Goodison Park. We won four one, <clears throat> notable for a very very weird own goal by Short, where Blomqvist tries to cross from the left hand side. It ends up being such a bad cross; it doesn't actually yeah. get into the penalty area, and ends up at Beckham's feet, who sends in a deep cross. Short's trying to head it out behind the goal for a goal kick and ends up diverting it towards his own net, which is a very interesting one. If you can find that on YouTube, definitely watch it. It's a very, very odd goal. Mm. York, Carl, and Jesper Blomqvist in the second half. So that left United second Jesper table. Blomqvist. Yes, yes, Jesper Blomqvist. <clears throat> Jesper Blomqvist, only goal for United. The only league goal for United, I believe. The only league goal? Oh, bless him. I think it was, yeah, yeah. And do you remember Jesper Blomqvist used to always run, used to always hold his shirt, the end of his shirt sleeves with his hands? Do you remember that? That's because he was cool. I always just yeah. remember that. He always used to he always used to hold the end of his shirt sleeves with his hands, like long sleeves. But yeah, that was his, that was his only that was his only league goal for United, which kind of surprised me because I remember him being quite quite useful, but he just didn't score very much apparently. Yeah, he's another one where I've got very very sort of vague memories of Blomqvist, really. Talking about wearing uh, holding on to his shirt sleeves just reminds me like of the kits this mm. season. Can I just mention the kits? They were so oh, yeah. good. The Umbro kits with sharp on the them. Umbro kit, the red home kit that we had, that little classy zip mm. with the Umbro down the uh, down the oh, arms yeah. and the white one as well. I mean, I suppose the white. I suppose as well, it's because of you know what we remember them for, but. That white one, the baggy shirt, that sort of baggy 90s mm. shirts that looked so good on Ryan Giggs and David Beckham. Everything looks good on David Beckham. Oh, that's true. This is very oh, true. Yeah. true. Sorry. I'm sorry, lads. That's no, fine. That was my style. I mean, okay, around that time as well, yeah. the big news of that sort of period was the fact that Peter Schmeichel was announcing he was going to leave United into the season. Now, yeah, that was mm. so weird. Yeah, wasn't it? I mean, where did that come from? I mean, I think his interview, I don't know who it was with at the time, but it was stating that he didn't really get enough time to recover or enough time to train because of how rough and tumble and intense the Premier League was. And admittedly, by that point in his United career, he'd started to make some pretty big howlers. You know, we'll come to perhaps his biggest howl of the season later on in the month. But uh, he'd already at that point in the Champions League conceded bad goals away to Bayern, which which had a massive effect on United's uh, travails yeah, in that group yeah. and a one to Bromby which wasn't really as important so unlike him but as yeah well. I mean even Ferguson at that sort of point when retrospectively looking at it was thinking oh it was surprising but he's given so much to the team now I want to ask yeah. you both having gone back to watch some of Schmeichel's work through that period and you know obviously we're in the David De Gea area now hand on heart slash gun to your head who do you say is United's best ever goalkeeper is it Schmeichel or, or is it De Gea Paul? Or is it Van der Sar? Oh, good point, good point. <clears throat> I still think it's Schmeichel, but um, I still, perhaps, I'd say perhaps Schmeichel. it's nostalgia, I don't know. But he was, I guess I guess the, the gap between what came before and, and Schmeichel was so large. We'd be, we'd yeah. be doing with Jim Layton and then Les Seeley, who was, who's an improvement on Jim Layton, but we hadn't had a top-class keeper, really, for a, for a, since Gary Bailey. There might be, as you say, some nostalgia in there, but he was an exceptional keeper. He was comfortably the best keeper in the world at that time. 
God, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, De Gea, obviously, is fantastic. It's, it, again, it's it, I suppose it's difficult as well because De Gea has won so little with us, but then that's not, of course, not his fault. And, and but I mean, I, I still think of Van der Sar. I mean, there was you know, we should have signed Van der Sar when Schmeichel left. My God, we should have signed him. But yeah, yeah, I, he, Van der Sar was absolutely exceptional for us as well. What are you saying, Rich? Well, the one thing I'd say on the on the kind of on the De Gea Schmeichel. Um, conversation is that this is one thing that Schmeichel did have it was that he was kind of the complete gatekeeper he was a shot stopper but he also at, the, at his peak dominated his area incredibly as well and he was also an, an atta- a sort of early attacking goalkeeper they crave you know sort of uh, rave about Edison now with his distribution with his feet but Schmeichel's throws were were essentially the start of United's best counter-attacks um, he had a mighty bowl cricket bowling throw out to out to Giggs or out to Beckham, mm. he was. Yeah, he was he, so I, I'd good. say he was more complete than De Gea is. De Gea at his best was an absolutely absurd shot stopper. You know, possibly the best shot stopper I've seen um, at United. But he he he's never quite dominated his area in the same way that yeah. that Schmeichel has. Just so that fury that Schmeichel had as well. He, yeah. Well, even if he was completely at fault for a goal. He'd still get straight to his feet and just give the defence in front of him just an absolute shower of abuse. Spittle. Yeah, which probably included a hell of a lot of spittle, yeah. That's true, yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was just absolutely fantastic. I mean, one thing before we go on to November's games, I think the only thing that De Gea is missing perhaps on his reserve, maybe two things. Number one, a couple more trophies. And number two, a moment like that Arsenal penalty. Ugh. Mm. Just about the only penalty he ever saved as well for United, wasn't it? I, I had absolutely yeah, no confidence in him. Wasn't useless at saving penalties. Uh, and I, same as De Gea, really, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had absolutely no faith in him saving that penalty whatsoever. And, and there you go. Mm. Life. So, uh, Life. With Schmeichel as well, he was obviously, you know, he was just a born winner, wasn't he? And yeah. we had so many of them in that, in that squad. Obviously, him at the back and Roy Keane in the middle. And I mean, they were all just winners, weren't they? Gary Neville, you know, um, Whereas De Gea, wasn't it? He, fantastic De Gea, but he's he, he's always seemed a, a little bit meek at times. Oh, that's a bit mean. Anyway, going on to November, <laughs> first game of that month in the league was a nil-nil draw at home to Newcastle. Uh, notable only for the fact that this was the only game at United season where we didn't score at home. That pushed us down to third in the table. Mm. That was closely followed up by a 3-2 win at home to Blackburn Rovers. Skulls got two and Dwight York got another, went 3-0 up. A very weird end to the game though. Tim Sherwood sent off basically elbowing David Beckham in the chest. And then United, I think it was Jason Blake who got two goals. We conceded two, just about held on for a 3-2 win, which moved us up into second in the table. Not behind Arsenal, which would be the easiest thing to think, but behind Aston Villa, which was a... Very, very mm. weird thing to recall when I was looking back through these highlights. As I say, it seems it seems strange now that, that Villa were really United's first first big Premier League rivals in their first sort of two or three seasons, and United going to Villa Park a couple of times and, and beating them when when they were the, the big competition. So we kind of forget because Villa are so routinely abject now that um, that they were that once was very good team. wasn't it? When they were Atkinson nearly won the title with them in like nineteen ninety. Yeah. And United actually beat them two 0 at home in a terrible, terrible league season, and kind of denied them the, denied them the title. But they were such a good side for the first sort of four or five years of the Premier League, and then it just just dropped away. Yeah, so it's not it's not as much of a surprise as you imagine. It was, it was more of a surprise that John Gregory was managing them 
Speaking of surprises, uh, Schmeichel gifted us with an incredible, probably the biggest howler of the season against uh, Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough in the next game. Mm. Uh, it, uh, the, oh, the easy way yeah, to remember it. Legs, yeah, well, to give you a, a modern uh, metaphor for it, imagine uh, De Gea's goal conceded against Watford that bounced up over him, but worse. This one basically went through Schmeichel. It was it was a long yeah. range effort, but it basically it just seemed to almost go into his arms and then come out the other side. It was so bad. Mm. It was an awful performance. It was just a terrible. Yeah, game. He used to hate Wednesday away. I don't know why he used to yeah. hate Wednesday away. It was always a really really tough game. Well, so it proved. Yeah, it was just one of those those few in that season where where United just just weren't at it at all. No, we just crap, weren't we? Yeah, you, you could always tell as well, right from the beginning. You could you, when when United were in one of those moods. Yeah, you knew straight from the kickoff. You knew it was going to be one of those games. Mm. I mean, we did equalise coming after good work again. You know, Colin, you're combining once again for a Cole equalise on the 19th minute. Uh, Win Junk scored on the 55th, and then Alexanderson capitalises on perhaps what Yapstam's worst error of the season. I mean, there are a fair mm-hmm. few on that one. He and Beckham just got completely discombobulated oh yeah uh, we somehow still stayed in second at that point leading into a visit of Leeds at Old Trafford remember Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank squeezing in the first one before mm. Solskjaer equalised yeah. just before the end of the first half uh, and then Roy Keane blasts into the roof of the net after being fed by Beckham Harry Kuehl nonetheless uh, equalised after the ball basically again seemed to transmogrify through Wes Brown and then Nicky Butt, oh. which I think only one of his one or two goals that entire season, blasting home. Peach, though, yeah, yeah, and yeah. doing so over a 19-year-old Paul Robinson in the 76th minute, which uh, led us into second in the table, still one point behind Aston Villa. Now, I guess the most mm. notable uh, act of that period was as well was uh, perennial assistant Brian Kidd going off to manage Blackburn Rovers to be replaced by the mighty Steve McLaren. Was that a big deal, would we say? That was a big deal, I thought, at the time. I remember it being a really huge deal, because obviously Brian Kidd had been there for... It had been the whole of Fergie's time at the club, mm-hmm. wasn't it? And Pretty it was that right. iconic image of, them, of of him knee-sliding against Sheffield Wednesday in the first title-winning season. And it just it felt... And also, to do it halfway through a season, it just felt really weird. And mm. uh, I didn't really know who Steve McLaren was at the time, so I had no idea whether he was going to be any good Steve McLaren not. didn't know who Steve McLaren was at the time. No. No. <laughs> I remember. I remember Indeed. reading a piece in the paper about about Stephen McLaren being one of the most the modern assistant thinkers in the in the game. I think, Cara, I think, yeah, I that's right. That too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. How true that was. Yeah, well, it worked out, didn't it? Oh, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we needed a bit of good news <laughs> coming into December, didn't we? Which was that was the low point of the whole season, surely, wasn't it? I mean, it kicked off with us yeah. getting knocked out of the Worthington Cup by uh, a David Ginola-inspired Spurs. <laughs> Uh, and then a visit yeah. to Villa Park against League Leaders Villa, as mentioned. Uh, Paul Scholes scored first, but that was cancelled out by Julian Joachim. Again, that's a name I haven't heard in two decades at least when going back to watch mm. the highlights of that game. And then a really nasty performance again at White Hart Lane with a 2-2 draw against Spurs. So Solskjaer got two goals in the first 20 minutes from Beckham Crosses before Gary Neville got sent off uh, for two bookable offences in the first half. Uh, that was a rough all afternoon, that. Sol Campbell got a goal back on 70 uh, minutes and then scored another one in stoppage time. Um, somehow, we still ended up first in the table after that, for that draw. But United were letting results slip quite badly at this stage, weren't they? Cause this is the, and then 
I mean, we mm. can go on to Chelsea, or if you've got any memories of that particularly bad day at White Hart Lane, please do mm. let me know. It just felt like that Christmas Lane, it felt like the, the equaliser was inevitable. And to, to get done a second time by Sol Campbell at set-piece in, in injury time was particularly annoying. Because the first, the first half prior to sending off United for all over Spurs, and we'd actually dealt with it pretty well until till Sol Campbell got our first one. It felt and that that that, that equaliser was just coming, and White Hart Lane went absolutely bananas when when they equalised in that game. And it just kind of felt like United's momentum was not we hadn't really got going fully at any point in the season, but it just kind of felt like we any momentum we had was just slowly kind of being sapped back. And then that that that, that was added to in the following game where we were beating. Chelsea with seven minutes to go and, and Zoba scores his little, little dink over the, over Schmeichel and and we we've, we've yeah. gone three games gone three league games and a cup game without without winning a game and suddenly if, 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 you, if anyone again. told you told you at this point that United were going to win the treble you would have there's no way you would have believed it I mean, no we, you know this December we, we you know we weren't playing terribly but we weren't playing well and yeah mm. well three straight league games on the trot where we conceded the league not necessarily late on each time but 90 minutes for Sol yeah. Campbell 83 minutes for Zola yeah. against Chelsea and then Joachim yeah. for Spurs sorry for Villa as well and it wasn't looking good was it and that was the funny thing about yeah. United around this period was that there was we were so chaotic in our play weren't we when we played and we attacked we looked really good. We looked like we could score goals, and we did score goals against pretty much everyone in the entire league. And when we were playing in Europe as well, we were so difficult to handle. But our defence was, frankly, at times, dog shit. It was so bad. This was, this was still kind of first era, Fergie, wasn't it? Before, before sort of going out to, to in Europe to like the Leverkusen or whatever. This was when we were still very, very gung ho and. Well, you know, we might be we might be a bit ropey at the back, but we'll score more than you. And it was great to watch most of the time, but you know, it was like you say, a bit chaotic. At yeah, times. it was football on a knife edge at times. Uh, but then yeah. it made sense, and it wasn't a surprise at the time to see us go down to Middlesbrough in the following league game. Although, admittedly, going down three nil to them. Well, no, Middlesbrough have always been a bit of a bogey team for United, really, haven't they? I know we spoke about Derby County as well, but Middlesbrough, either at the Riverside or at home, as you mentioned there, it's never a fixture I look forward to with any glee whatsoever. No. Was this the game, you might tell, you've researched far more than than we we have, was that not the game where Fergie was, had to go to a funeral or something and, and, and... Jim Ryan sat on the bench or something, or was that was that a later seasons? Was that a later season? I but think was that was a later season. Where that happened and we lost. Yeah, it may have been. You might be right. But yeah, I think we lost in at home to Middlesbrough in that in that that game as well, where where Fergie wasn't present. We did have a really dodgy dodgy time at home against Middlesbrough for a bit. I remember Janino scored in a three two win as well, didn't he? Perhaps that was the, that's the game I'm thinking of. But Janino scored in a three two win at Old Trafford for. Middlesbrough as well. It so. was not this one. This was Hamilton, Rickard, Dean Gordon making it 2-0 in the first half and then Gary Neville yeah. having absolute mare to let Brian Dean make it 3-0. I remember expecting to lose this match. I remember going there thinking, like, just, you know, when you're just like, oh, yeah, we're, we're not, not going to mm. win this. Because it was Middlesbrough. Because of the form we were in. Mm. So, you know, they did have a bit of a hoodoo over us. Well, so it proved, yeah. Nicky Butt and uh, Paul Scholes did get goals back, but it wasn't enough. You know, it, it, at least I remember on the radio at this stage, you know, when the second goal went in, you were expecting a third, but United just couldn't manage it. And it seems like 
you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the month in general and this era as a turning point. But this felt like the real low of the treble season, really, wasn't it? It initially seemed to make Ferguson and the coaching staff have a real look at how United were defending and how many problems it was causing the team at the time because it was undermining every good thing we were trying to do. And it was around this point where we really started to tighten up. You know, the following game was a 3 0 mm. win against Forrest. Ronnie Onsen got two, and then Giggs got a third after good work by Beckham. That was our first clean sheet in the league since the beginning of November in that 0 0 draw against Newcastle. And that was uh, shortly followed up mm. on Boxing Day, or at least around the new year, with a 0 0 draw at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. That left us in fourth. But yeah, that whole period there, three draws in a row with uh, conceding equalisers and then losing to Middlesbrough, that really did seem to be the turning point for the season in some ways, didn't it? That run, the run after after the into the new year, I think Man United went undefeated in all three competitions they were in from from that point. Yep, you're right. Didn't lose another game. Um, I think they from that point we won 13 of our last 18 games, and the other the other five were, were draws and. To, to think that the, the quality of opposition we were playing in both the FA Cup and in the Champions League at that point as well, to have actually gone unbeaten in all three competitions all the way through from essentially from January to the end of May is actually quite staggering, particularly given what had come before it in the in the two or three months before. This is kind of the point. It's, it's almost as if New Year's resolutions were not going to be flaky anymore and then we just turned into a machine, really. Mm. And there was that... I mean, we obviously will talk about the FA Cup on a different pod, but just as a brief mention, that there was that game against Liverpool at the end of January, wasn't there? Sort of, mm. I think it was twenty fourth of January. We beat them, and it was that felt like not just not a turning point, but like a, that's when the belief really started to set in a little bit. You know, where we could actually do this. Mm. It was like a dress rehearsal for the last game of the season, really, wasn't it? In a way, yeah. yeah. Mm. Right, time for a quick break and a chance to mention that this week's episode is brought to you in association with the Pitch Sports app, which can be downloaded from the Apple and Google Play stores. You can join in with both Football Manager and FIFA 2000 simulations of games that are currently suspended, challenge your mates and compare your starting 11s. So you get on, it's a great little way to pass the time at the moment. So that's Pitch Sports on the Apple and Google Play stores. January yeah. was pretty good to us in the end. That was, let's see, 11 goals in three games from United at that point. Kicked off with a 4-1 win against West Ham. Uh, York, Cole with two, and then Ollie with a looping header at the end, left us in third. And that mad 6-2 win at Leicester City at Filbert Street at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Filbert Street, yeah. These are the two games when York and Cole, that partnership just clicked completely. Mm-hmm. Telepathy almost. It was, it? and that was the point, really. We certainly defended better after in the new year as well, but just the, the quality of that combination took us up a level, I think. Yeah, sure. To, to, the, point, to the point that we got to. I mean, just look at the team. I mean... I, The players we had, my word, it was ridiculous really, wasn't it? I think that was one of two hat-tricks for United that season, which is mad when you think about it. But yeah, Dwight York got his first hat-trick. Um, that afternoon, and then two for Cole, and then a first goal. Maybe not, I might Stam might have got a second later on. We'll we'll figure that one out. But Stam got his uh, first goal for the club that afternoon, and two yeah. conceded. But you know, when you're scoring six, I don't think it matters that much. And then the first of a one of several in the second half of the season victories that we properly had to grind out. It was a one nil win against yeah. Charlton with a late late winner. 
skulls with a dinked cross and then York with a scrappy header. Um, but yeah, it put United in first for the first time since December 12th at that stage, right at the end of January. It was a big turning point. And just looking at the league at that stage, the end of that month, United first on 44 points, Chelsea on 43, Villa on 43 and Arsenal on 42. God, I mean... The- you mentioned there, obviously, as we've spoken about already in this episode, that you know you didn't necessarily need to start the league amazingly well to still be in with a shout a little while later on. But the way in which United and the teams around them were really going at it by the time we got to the New Year area was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. And I like it was like we going back to what Rich said earlier about um, you know teams, particularly Arsenal. I mean, at this point, Chelsea were second, but we're just being pushed on. You know, there's, there's Chelsea, Villa and Arsenal all on our, on our tails. So one of the weird things, and this is obviously very interesting to sort of switch back to a modern context, was around that time, Roy Keane gave an interview in terms of the fact he was actually being asked point blank, how likely is it? Is it possible that you could do the treble? Now, I think at that stage, uh, I believe, you know, weren't Arsenal already out of the Champions League? They'd been knocked out of the group stages that year. So United were the only English team because at that, team, at that time you didn't have a last 16. You had a quarterfinals as soon as you finished the group stages because there was only four groups. So United were England's only representative in the Champions League knockout stages. Still in the FA Cup by that stage and still doing well in the league. They were really doing the, the treble talk up quite a lot in the press, weren't they, in the media? You can you can imagine it from Keane though, can't you? That's that, you know, Keane's kind of thing is like, I just expect to win everything we go for, otherwise what are we bothering for? This was a weird interview though, Rich, because to be fair, because it was actually Keane being very, I think, modest about it, just saying, no, we're just taking things yeah. uh, one game at a time uh, and we're just, just seeing how we go. You know, it's not necessarily something that's in the forefront of our minds. You know, Keane, the modern day, would look at you and stare daggers at you in the process and then drown yeah. you, probably. They must have known the quality that was in the squad. It was just a case of really harnessing it. They must have been pretty confident. And after those, after the Champions League games in particular, where we, we, we had... You know, group of death really with with Barca and Bayern, and to have kind of gone head to head with with two teams of that quality, and actually come out of it the other side. I reckon they must have had an inkling at that point that, that on their day they could have been as as good as anybody in Europe. Yeah, plus they've got the best manager in, in the world at the time, and mm-hmm. and they're they're seeing obviously their teammates in, in training, and I think at times you know you hear players talking about things just sort of clicking into place and. I think that's that. It, it it felt like maybe not to fans, but I think it must have felt like um, that to for the players at the time. You know, and like you say as well with with, with York and Cole hitting such great form together, and and then also with the bench. You remember you looking at United's bench and just thinking, oh, there's goals on there. So even if the players that the, the first team players don't do it. You can bring on Solskjaer and Sheringham, and the embarrassment of riches we had really at the time was unbelievable. It was a bit mad, wasn't it? Moving in through February then, so it kicked off with a, another narrow 1-0 win, this time against Derby County at home. Uh, another York winner in the second half this time, but over the top and York with the half volley on 65 minutes, no less. Lived us first in the table, and then what followed was probably Solskjaer's, definitely one of his biggest super sub appearances which was the famous 1-8 victory at the forest ground away to nottingham forest uh, dwight york in this one scored two minutes in alan rogers equalized four minutes later and then andy cole uh put us back in the lead about 37 seconds later <laughs> uh this left us a 2-1 and then york and cole both combined in the second half to make it 4-1 and then Ollie came on in the 80th minute. And the great thing about this is that Jim Ryan said, we don't need to score any more goals. Just play it nice and simple. Mm. Then he went and scored four. 
four. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things about the team at this point, you know, I mean, and Forest were a really bad team that year. I think I think they finished bottom, but they they were a poor team. But was that? I think it's the case with all with all really great great teams is that they have that degree of ruthlessness where they just don't let up. You know, if you're in a period of superiority, they're not going to ease off the last 15, 20 minutes and let you off. And I think also that competition for places as well, particularly particularly with the strikers. At any given time, you had two strikers on the bench who desperately, desperately wanted to come on and show that they should be starting over the other two guys. The, the wonderful thing about Paul Solskjaer is he scored four goals and they just looked a bit embarrassed. <laughs> that third yeah, one, he was yeah. like, yeah, I'm sorry, lads, yeah. That particularly the one where he was through and he tried to kind of fire it past the keeper and he keeper patted it down and then he then he kind of dribbled it past him and hit it beautifully into the top corner from about 25 was yards. Dave Besson from the edge of the area, yeah. Yeah, one hell of a yeah, shot, yeah, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, it was. You know, it was like, in terms of, what an amazing finish it mm. was. He had such a range of goals. If you, you're watching his goals back, he, he, he could score from, he could score curves into the top corner. He, yeah. He was finisher, he was a header, he was absolutely everything, both feet. Number of left foot goals he scored. You know, and it, yeah. and it was just, just, just an absolute, absolute goal monster. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's absolutely typical of him that he, that he did that and then just looked, just looked, looked a bit embarrassed by the whole thing. <laughs> and that led into a massive game at Old Trafford against Arsenal, the fifth. Sorry, the third of our five meetings with Arsenal that season. God, we played them a lot. This was where I think it's fair to say that, I mean, at this point, United were really sort of finding their mojo and they were really getting into their stride. But this was such a big test against an Arsenal team who were really starting to come together now. I mean, yes, they might have been a couple of games due to games in hand at this stage behind United. So there was still a bit of a gap, but... I think it was a massive test for United to come into this game and number one, make sure they didn't lose, which they managed, but it was a really tough old slog, this one. Uh, It was incredibly wet, soaking wet at Old Trafford. The pitch was muddy and it was cutting up and in really bad uh, health at this stage. I remember Ray Parler fouling Ronnie Johnson just on the inside of the area for a penalty and then Dwight York actually missed it. I don't think Dennis... Yeah, yeah, Dennis Irwin wasn't playing this one. He was nominated penalty taker at this stage, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was so reliable as well from the spot. He was a really good free kick taker as well, but from the penalty spot, I don't don't, don't remember missing many. I just remember the tension at the ground, even just walking to the ground. Because it was so tight, because it was Arsenal. You know, even though Chelsea and Villa had sort of been, you know, sniffing around there or thereabouts, you always knew it was going to come down to United and Arsenal, really. Mm. Um, and it was a good game, but just the tension was just... It was unbearable, really. You know, mm. watching through your fingers, almost. Well, it genuinely could have gone either way, couldn't it? You know, I think it was in the second yeah. half. Nwanki Kanu pulling several defenders with him to get the shot off, and then a first shot saved by Schmeichel, but Anelka, who at this stage was really a scourge of these United Arsenal games, hits it into the like one shot. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, what else can we use for a ter- different term for the scourge of Old Trafford? Um, the terror of, terror terror of Old Trafford, yeah, that'll do. I hated Nicholas Anelka playing against us at that yeah, stage. I really didn't. Uh, Phil Neville crossing for Cole on the hour mark to get us back with an equaliser. And that was the first league goal that Arsenal conceded in 1999. So at that point, you know, I think as uh, Paul recently mentioned on the No Question About That podcast when they were talking about the United-Arsenal FA Cup game. You know, there's a, there's a romanticism about Wenger's Arsenal initially in the early days, but they were basically based on a very tough, stringent defence. So to yeah. get that goal when they were in the lead was huge. And Dwight York could have sealed it and actually gotten us three huge points late on when he almost got one in sliding home 
but it was enough to keep us in first. And then we finished off that month with two very grindy wins. You know, I think the win at Coventry. What was Coventry's ground again? Highfield Road. Highfield Road. I was at this game. Were you? I was at this cough game. I, I I went to every United game in cough for quite a few years. This was the first one, and I was sitting in the main stand there. I thought, what am I going to do if United score here? United scored, and I kind of sat, sat on my hands, and about half the stadium went up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just remember Coventry was, it was for some reason whenever United played at Coventry, the ground was like literally half half United. Quite a late goal, and I seem to remember because the defender tried to stop the shot. On the line and just ended up walloping it in the top of the in the top of the net, he which did, made, yeah. it, made it look an even better goal. But yeah, I mean that felt like a really big goal. I mean, I suppose they all felt like big goals at that time, didn't they? The home tension was so so great, and every mistake could could cost you cost you the title. That all these all these these late goals just kept kept adding up, and they just kept coming to be united. Mm-hmm. Yeah, followed by a two-one win at home to Southampton, which was another mad game, nil-nil at eighty minutes, and then Keane comes on and makes the mm-hmm. difference from a corner, and then Beckham crossing deep to York slides it in in the eighty-fourth minute, and then Letizia, Matthew Letizia gets a consolation, leaving us first in the table. But those were two big wins, and part of that series where we were properly grinding things out at that stage. We were, and I think this is this is. When you, when you watch some of the highlight reels and, on YouTube and, and uh, the, the DVDs and stuff, you, you can tend to forget, or it can seem like Roy Keane had very little influence on this team. There's a few big goals and that's about it, but he was just driving this team on, you know, and from midfield and, and just, you know, that's, that's not letting standards slip. And yeah, that, I remember that game really well, actually. It was, it was, it, <laughs> with United at this, in, in, in this season, you always felt that those goals coming, but you know, that, Obviously, when it's nil-nil at 18 minutes, you're thinking, oh man, is it going to happen? And, and yeah, Keane just made made a difference in a big, big way. Mm. And end of that month, the end of February, United were first with 57 points ahead of Chelsea, having played a game less on 53, and Arsenal with 26 played and 49 points. So there was a bit of daylight, but obviously not enough once Arsenal made up those two games in hand. So we needed another two very tight games in the month of March. Uh, a one, sorry, 2-1 win away at Newcastle at St. James's. Remember Alberto Solano with an incredible free kick mm. in the first half mm. to give Newcastle the lead, which was very widely celebrated by the home fans. And then another York and Cole combination for Cole to smash home on the 25th minute. And then Giggs crossing for Cole early in the second half. And then United ground that one out, followed by a 3-1 win at home to Everton. Ali Solskjaer opening the scoring. And then Gary Neville with a very, very rare goal in the second half, which made the the whole yeah. bench, I recall, stand up and look completely surprised because it was such an auspicious occasion. And then David Beckham with a mad free kick. Uh, his first goal for, yeah, 26 kick. games, that was his first goal for. I mean, you know, that's one of the things about Beckham. You, you don't necessarily need him to be scoring so much at that stage. He scored a lot of big goals in that season, but 26 games for a player of his calibre, in arguably his most effective season for United, it is mad when you think about it. It's his assists though, isn't it? And, and his passing range. And even if he doesn't get the assists, he'll get the pre assist whatever. You know what I mean? He's just so many of his cross-field balls. Like, I know he was famous for those sort of 60, 70 yarders, wasn't he? And, well, just what a player, unbelievable player. United four points ahead of Arsenal at the time. Chelsea still in the running, which is a good measure as well, just how good the season they were having at the time. And just three points behind Arsenal in third. Moving into April, started off with a one-all draw away at Wimbledon at Salas Park. Jason Yule capitalising on an awful pass back to Schmeichel from Neville, which was a 
pretty of a howler, really, wasn't it? And then Irwin smashing across in against goal and in by Beckham in the 44th minute just before the end of the first half. United hanging on to first at this stage. And this is one of those elements where this is us splitting up the treble into these three separate competitions plays against the intensity at the minute of all the games we are playing in the separate competitions because obviously we're talking about the league in between this Wimbledon game and the next game at home to Sheffield Wednesday United played against Arsenal twice because yeah. the the incredible thing about that season was we had to do the replay what was it three days later after drawing with them nil nil at Villa Park a replay that should never have been as well I'm sure we'll talk about this in the FA Cup the goal was disallowed in the first leg after York basically passed to himself and, and was was ruled offside before Keaton scored the Wimbledon game was one of the few games in the second half of the season where we looked tired I thought or we looked <clears throat> we looked like it might be too much for us but to then actually come from, from a, what was a bit of a shaky performance and then take out Arsenal in the game of the century um, in, the, in the replay and the replay was quite a comeback really oh yeah I can't wait to talk about that Arsenal game. I'm hugely looking forward to it. And the funny thing about that, the FA Cup pod is going to be, and we'll mention this when we record it sometime next week, it's incredible how the final just had no chance of living up to anything that had come before it and subsequently after it as well. But yeah, that game against Sheffield after the replay, pretty much as routine as you like by the look of it. Juventus on the horizon as well, just to make things even more complicated. So Sheringham and Solskjaer come into the lineup and provide a goal for each other. And then Skulls blasting home in the second half. So yeah, one of the more routine games of this era for sure, uh, leading into... We were so afraid of Juventus as well. Oh yeah. I'm sure I remember there was an interview with one of the players, I can't remember who it was. Gary Neville. It was Gary Neville, yeah, yeah. Gary Neville, that's it, yeah. He was pretty much admit. Well, he was just admitting. That's it, because he, he said, oh, Juve is still in it, didn't he? Mm. He said, Juve is still in it, and then he sort of crestfallen face as, as he's told yeah. that Juventus has made it through. Just, ah, oh, no, not anyone but them. Well, I mean, they, um, they were our yeah, main... So. They were our main scourge, weren't they, at that point? We said scourge a lot tonight, but this bears repeating when it comes to Juventus. They were the team that Ferguson measured himself against in Europe at that stage. Yeah, they were the yardstick, weren't they? Because you remember, we played them them three times before we beat them and lost all three games, I think, 1-0. And then that was almost the first time we beat them, which was the 3-2 at Old Trafford. I mean, Giggs scored that amazing goal on the break and lashed it home. That was the moment. That game particularly was the moment when you, you you thought actually United are getting somewhere here. This we might be cracking this. Just just starting to to really compete at European level. Whereas before we we'd been great in the league, but not we hadn't really been able to raise ourselves in the European Cup. So they they've yeah. been the yardstick for a few years really. Mm. And so it was a, a matrix moment, wasn't it? They're yeah. starting to believe. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Yeah, exactly that. But you know, to, to draw them in the semi final, they were. You know, the prominent club in Europe at the time. It was. It was absolutely terrifying. I remember yeah. it was absolutely just. It was horrific. You just, oh. We just think we just beat. We just beat an Inter Milan side with with yeah. with a sort of half fit Ronaldo. But you know that that was a really really good Inter side at the time, and we we, we put them away relatively ultimately relatively comfortably oh I don't know about that Rich I think we'll we'll have some words well, about that Inter Milan tie because it went a lot differently than I remember it no there was about there was about 20-25 minutes that were that were, were genuinely scary but the the home game was a uh, was was relatively really relatively comfortable a comfortable win uh, by the one clearance off the line but the away game I admit was uh, in the second half a little bit more scary yeah speaking of scary of uh, ground that would actually become quite synonymous with where the league title was going to this season the last game of April was a 1-1 draw at Elland Road 
Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank once again capitalising on a mistake from United. A rubbish butt pass after Kuehl picks it up. And then Cole smashing home a second half equaliser from close range. Leeds were fourth at the time, so it wasn't necessarily a too shabby of a result. But that pushed United down to second in the table after Arsenal had thumped Middlesbrough. Uh, I mean, I guess the real talking point as we sort of start getting into the nitty-gritty of May uh, and uh, three wins and two draws in the league at that stage, it was just how United were able to keep going, you know, in conjunction with those incredibly draining FA Cup games, two ties against two of the best teams in Italy at that stage, some incredible comebacks. I mean, this is where the treble side came of age wasn't it in the sense that they were just able to continue they just refused to buckle there's so many games here that we just either ground out or were able to come back and at least salvage a draw and looking at the way the season finished in terms of how close that league table was every single one of these draws that we're going to be talking about it's that Leeds one we've got two coming up in May they were so intrinsically massive to the league season coming out the way it did weren't they I think it's sort of going back to what we said before about the number of leaders on the pitch and just driving each other on and obviously with Fergie on the bench as well driving them on and there was just this unbelievable I suppose going into May there was that sense of destiny starting to emerge really you know obviously beating Arsenal in that epic game and mm. the FA Cup and, and there was just this you know like I said just these unbelievable leaders everywhere everywhere you looked um, and a lot of adrenaline you know driving them on because they must have been exhausted Mm. physically exhausted. I mean, Roy Keane's written in his books about, you know, just the physical pain that, that they were often, would often be in. And, and it's not just that, though, is it? It's also the, the mental fatigue and the, the nervous energy that they must have must have experienced constantly. Mm. It was bad enough in the stands and watching on TV and stuff, yeah. and, you know, to, to, to actually play in those games. And there were so many huge... Every game, really, was just huge, wasn't it? Even against yeah. the smaller yeah, teams. Yeah. It, it I mean, every massive. game that we played from May onwards in any competition... We only, yeah. apart from the FA Cup final against Newcastle, we only won by one goal. Yeah. I think, though, in a way, that that's probably losing the league by one point the season before. We mentioned before that meant, that meant that Fergie's gone out and and signed more players than he probably would have done. And I think the fact that that, that United were pushed so so far all the way in the league actually probably helped them in the yeah. other two competitions because. They didn't have a moment to let up. If they'd been cruising, if they'd just sort of sauntered like PSG type, sauntered into sort of March, April, you know, 12 points clear, it's very easy for a team to take the foot off the gas, isn't there? Whereas yeah. with this team, A, they didn't, they, they never, they just never would, it wasn't in their nature to do that, but B, they couldn't no, do no, it. absolutely not. No, and speaking of which, kicking things off again with the first game of May in the league was a home game against Villa. It was a Steve Watson home goal after Scholes had hit a ball across goal that managed to get us the lead. And then Julian Joachim again with an equaliser as United were sort of waiting for an offside as the ball was spread out to the right. But then it's Beckham again with another of his stupendous free kicks that season. I mean, you, you forget just watching back through these goals, how many magnificent long-range free kicks he scored during his time at United. Yeah. It was a, it was, just a it was like across the goalkeeper, this one as well, because it was from the right-hand side and it sort of went up and over and down. It was amazing. You, you almost expected him to score. When you put yeah. when you place the ball, you think, well, and even if, if United are sort of 1-0 down or, or drawing and it's, like, you know, it's the, the last kick of the game, if, if it's a free kick... Mm. You expect United to win the game, suddenly. It's almost almost a fifty fifty at that point, wasn't it? You know, yeah. And, and I think what's what's amazing with the free kicks is that he he could put them anywhere. 
you know you have yeah. you have some players who who have got a particular technique that they're absolutely excellent at. But he could he could put them anywhere. He could put them either side of the keeper. He could curl them away from the keeper. He could curl them towards the keeper. He had absolutely every every type of free kick in his locker. So so that if you're a keeper, you've got absolutely no idea where to stand, what part of the goal to to protect because because you. Yeah. Yeah, the Villa one. What the Villa one was just an insane, insane free kick, wasn't it? But he cur- he curled it away from the keeper mm. into the mm. into the top, the top what the keeper's top right hand corner, and it's it's one of those ones where you watch it and you think, how on earth did he, how on earth did he get that in from there? But you just he, he just Beckham did. as well. Beckham, he, he just did he, that. He was always it was it was lovely to it was a lovely player to watch in slow mo. Beckham wasn't he? Like that free kick technique was just so mm. beautiful. The way he caressed the ball. You know, that long hair. I'm, I'm having a little moment here, lads. <laughs> hey, here's a game that wasn't good to watch in either slow motion or indeed any other motion. A 2-2 two, two draw at Anfield. Blech. Yeah, that yeah. game was... That game was... It was dirt. Uh, Dwight York with a header from a Beckham cross in the... Pauline. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm mm. going through my notes, I'm almost there, don't worry. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Dwight York header from a Beckham cross, first time in the 22nd minute. Owen scores a penalty after Jamie Carragher smacks Jesper Blomqvist on the arm with his boot. So that made it 2-0, just about an hour gone. And Rich, you had feelings on the penalty that Blunkvist subsequently conceded that Redknapp con- sorry, Jamie Redknapp converted. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a penalty. <laughs> Great, thanks for that. It absolutely wasn't a penalty. He basically, it was a, it was a perfect slide tackle to take, take the ball off the Liverpool player's toe. Mm. And United was so in control of that game at that point. And then the penalty just absolutely changed the changed the balance of the game. And then it's, you know, Irwin then goes and gets sent off for kicking the ball away, which was just another... Kind of kicking the teeth from there, and then just to concede as late as we did. Yeah, Paul Ince to Manchester Paul Ince United ra- legend the, Paul Ince. Yeah, the, throwing himself into the cop. Yeah, at the end there, that that was a very, very, very tough one to take. No, no, I mean that that was the point when I thought is the league gone now because it was that same day where Arsenal had beaten Spurs three one, and I think that was at White Hart Lane, and he's just thinking, is that our shot now gone? And it, things were getting so, so tight. And you didn't want to bank on any other team for a result at that stage, which is why, you know, going up to the Riverside at that point for the following game, getting a victory by any means possible was pretty much the name of the game, wasn't it? And United did a great job of, once they got the lead, basically shutting the game down, if I recall correctly. York with a header at the end of the first half. And then we were waiting for that game in hand for uh, Arsenal for some time. And then it happened at Elland Road, and watching the highlights back of that match, Leeds v Arsenal, it was incredible. That intensity of that match, Rich, was absolutely incredible. I got that from the highlights. David Seaman and Nigel Martin are having the games of their lives collectively by the look of it. There were so many big chances. It was such a bloody affair, wasn't it? It was, but one of the, th- one of the things about that game, and perhaps the, the, the little tiny little margins on which the season swayed, Arsenal needed a goal. They had to bring on Christopher Ray, the... Uh... <laughs> The, the extremely average Liberian forward they had, and it, it's just little little moments like that where United had that extra depth in terms of goal scoring. They had that slightly deeper subs bench at times, and it was in a game like that where absolutely ridiculous game where Arsenal were absolutely hammering away for a goal, and they just didn't have quite the quality to bring on off the bench mm. to to win that game. Well, I actually I actually watched that game with, the, with my mate who's a, who was a Leeds fan, and it, that, that's that's the one game that he's ever watched with me where he actually wanted Leeds to lose. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just funny how the season ended up. But before we get there, the following evening on that Wednesday night was a nil-nil draw at Ewood Park, which helped no one. Yeah, Rovers needed to win to make sure they didn't get relegated. If United won that game, they would have won the title there and then. 
Now, of course, because we have to wait for drama v Spurs on the final day of the season, because that's just the way this season was going. It was. Strange parallel, though. We, we then had a, a game in the penultimate match of the season at, at Ewood Park against relegation-threatened Blackburn, I think in 07-08, didn't we? And that, that game as well, we only drew it, and so we had to take it to the last game of the season again to, to win the title. It was a weird one for me, because I was going... Because I, I had a season ticket, I was like... Obviously, I wanted us to just wrap it up, but then I, I wanted to, us to win it at home as well, but then it was against Spurs, which, is, you know, it's not easy. Spurs, I mean, I know, lads, it's Spurs and stuff, but I mean, this, that was a ridiculously nervy game. Well, I mean, the context of Spurs at that point was interesting, wasn't it? Because we not got knocked out to them, obviously, by a slightly weaker team in the Worthington Cup at that stage, and then had that 2-2 draw away from home. Yes, we lost Neville, and yes, we were playing against... Uh, 11 men with 10 for the best part of 45, 50 minutes. But, no. you know, Spurs weren't a complete pushover by that point. And coming into that game... Yeah, some good players. Oh, yeah, great players. You know, Stefan Iverson. I mean, it's amazing watching these highlights back, just you know, remembering all these old players and stuff like that. But not only that, watching the highlights back from this game against Spurs, I mean... Wow, what an intense 90 minutes or so football, Paul. Were you there for that one? Yeah, I was. Yeah, describe yeah. the mood to me for that game going into the stadium. It must have been something else. Yeah, it was in- unbelievable. It was electric, and uh, the best atmosphere I'd ever felt, I'd ex- experienced was probably the, when we f- won that first title. And there were, it, it, it felt kind of similar because we'd obviously lost out on the title the season before, and because this was like the first opportunity to, to win one of the, the treble trophies, and because the treble seemed so tantalisingly close at this point. It was just this nervous electricity and excitement. And I think most of us believed we, we would do it, but, you know, it's United and, we, and we, we'd lost we'd lost league titles on the last day of the season before. So, yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere, but also pretty horrific. <laughs> well, it was a pretty horrific watch, really, wasn't yeah. it? Um, it could have started off a lot nicer had... Uh, that kick from Ian Walker that went straight into Dwight York actually not come back in off the post and gone into the net. Oh, Funny yeah. thing about that was watching Ian Walker then berating his defence for putting him off, seemingly, because he kicked the ball against him, which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But I guess one of the yeah the big turning point of that game, or at least a big notable moment of that game, was David Ginola uh, coming off injured and then Dominguez coming on. Uh, he'd been really useful for Spurs at that stage and was arguably their biggest threat in terms of a creative presence. So, Ginola. You know, yeah, David Ginola. Oh, gosh, he was a handsome fella. He was, and a really good player as well. I really liked him as a yeah. player. Mm. He was such a great player in such a poor team at the time as well. You don't, you don't often see that anymore, do you? A player of kind of that quality. Because, because the money's so great at the top of the, top of the tree yeah. now. You don't tend to get players like that who, who are at clubs of that size, or not clubs that size, sorry, no, that are at poorer teams or, or teams in a poor stage for so long. Yeah. So he was just a world ahead of the rest of that team. So that was it's just, you know, it was a joy to watch. Him off was enormous. He was, he was worth watch. tuning into Match of the Day for alone quite often. Oh, God, lads. I mean, just going back through those highlights for this first half, I mean, Paul, United were absolutely all over Spurs. Mm. You know, there were pressure, there was chances. So, of course, it made complete sense that Spurs get the first goal of the game. I was talking to a, a few of the guys down in the uh, press room, the football writers, earlier on, as we look at that one again, and they were saying they thought it would be all over after 20 minutes. 
United would storm into an early lead and Spurs would throw in the towel. Hasn't happened like that as Ferdinand tries that effort and he scored! Les Ferdinand has scored for Tottenham! Goodness me, it was only about their second or third attack. Look at the faces of the United fans. Right out of the blue, what a turn up that is! relatively straightforward header by Stefan Iverson over the top but Les Ferdinand just beats Ronnie Anson way too easily mm. and then one of the weirdest shots I've ever seen in my life this weird sort of side-footed flick high over into the corner that causes Peter Schmeichel basically to fall back into the goal I mean what was Old Trafford I mean it looked pretty quiet and shocked at the t- just on the TV shocked. What? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. even on TV you can hear the silence <laughs> it was just silence I mean you always get a, you always get a bit of silence but you know what usually when, when in, in games that don't that don't mean quite as much as this one where there's not quite as much wrestling on them you get that silence but then it's almost immediately followed by yeah United United or something. you know this was just like oh god what, what's going to happen here sort of thing and, and just that sort of sense of impending doom, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah, no, it was it was a weird. You're right, it was a weird shot. But I mean, you know, like we say, they did some good players last Ferdinand. I mean, you knew they could do it, and and Schmeichel, you know, it, oh, man, he was such a great keeper for us. But he did he did have these little gaffes in him that season. I mean, looking at my notes from the rest of that half. You know, we had skulls coming close twice, once on the edge of the box and then a close range from the follow-up to sharing. He was basically two metres out. Great reactions from Walker, but anywhere else and that's going in and we've got a lot less stress on our hands at that point. The one chance again that sticks out is Beckham heading over from, again, metres out. He just puts it down anywhere on target. It's going in from a gig's cross. I remember saying to my dad at that point, I think maybe it might be one of those days, you know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But you do sort of have those days where you think it's not just not going to go in. Doesn't matter how many we could be here all night and it's not going to go in. Uh, that's when the, the fear really struck me. Yeah, I mean that was the thing going into that stage of the game as well because Arsenal was still drawing nil nil with Villa. If Spurs had scored a second goal, then Arsenal would have won the league. But because we were losing one nil, we were just staying ahead on goal difference at that stage. I mean, what was it like, I mean, in 99? Obviously, we haven't really got that problem now, apart from the fact Al Trafford's signal has perennially been shit. But at that stage, Paul, like, were you getting information from the Arsenal games so you knew what was happening? It was um, it was guys with, with little earphones in, listening to... Yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> honestly, listening to... They, they suddenly became, like, the, these fonts of knowledge. Again, another Matrix quote, the, the Oracle... All these guys with little earphones listen to their portable radios. But then you you get this little ripple. There was a guy that used to sit in front of me who always brought his radio for some reason. Um, But then the whole stadium, you get this little ripple. And you were never completely sure whether it's true or not. So, uh, yeah, it was was so, so tense. It was so tense. Yeah, and at that stage as well, because United were spending so much time on the attack, it was inevitable that holes were going to pick up as well. And going back, because actually I forgot to mention this, there were some really interesting decisions made by Ferguson in the lineup for that team. So Sheringham started ahead of Andy Cole, Mm. and Yapstam wasn't in the lineup, replaced by David May. And... Forgive me if I'm wrong. I don't remember David May playing a lot of football that season. After um, after his heroics at Middlesbrough those years before in the the final game of the season, the United won three 0 Kind of thought he was the man for the end of the end of the season. Dramatic yeah, he could take the pressure. Yeah, 
Well, it kind of worked. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, he had, didn't have the biggest uh, defensive contribution to make uh, that could have set it up for 2-0. Uh, Darren Anderton with a low cross just before United equalised that Nicky Butt could only parry into Iverson's path, but then Neville gets in with a massive block from right back. Incredible effort to stop that. And then follows what I am going to class as David Beckham's best ever goal. Scholes gets it, Sherwood says he was fouled, the referee doesn't agree. Giggs, Scholes, Beckham, it's in! Well, Tottenham don't like it, but Manchester United love it. It's a Beckham special, Sherwood's furious, he's after the referee, he wants to know why a free kick wasn't given. I mean, the way that he struck that, the venom, the precision, it just it, it, it beggars belief. It's one of my favourite goals of all time, that one. And it all came because Paul Scholes supposedly fouled Tim Sherwood, but who really cares? Got it out to Giggs, Giggs to Scholes, and he passed it across the box just inside the right-hand side of the penalty area. And I didn't realise this until I was watching several replays. Ian Walker actually gets a little bit of a hand to it. Makes but it's it better going though, so it? quickly. Yeah, he does. He gets a little bit of a touch on it, but it's going so quickly and it's placed so well. Sails over him into the far corner. Across him, again, another incredible strike. I think that's the thing. You don't, you don't usually see outswinging curlers from that position, do you? No. I think that's what it was. He, he, he was essentially curling it away. If you look at the angle, you wonder how on earth could you essentially the ball be going for the centre of the goal and curl away and the keeper not save it. But when you watch the goal itself, you can you can understand that the kind of the combination of swerve and power and the, the height of it and the bit of dip as well, it was just it was just incredible that really even got a hand to it. Mm. Paul, reaction for that goal, please. I mean, it must have been such the big... I mean, obviously we weren't winning at that stage, but the relief... Huge relief, and it was mainly relief, really. I mean, like you say, without winning the game, you could never be sure. So, but yeah, just the roar was unbelievable. It's kind of like a roar, and then sort of right. Well, let's get down to business. The business of a serious business of winning this game now. You know, we need mm. to win this game to make it absolutely certain. Because yeah, those games when when there's you're having to listen for for, for the um, for news from another another ground, just horrific. So um, we'll go on to the second goal, shall we, Ewan? We will, yeah. I mean, just to mention at half-time, United were still winning the league with that goal, but it would all change if United, sorry, if Arsenal took the lead against Villa and then Ferguson decided to take uh, Teddy Sheringham off for Andy Cole. Massive call! And wouldn't you know it? Two minutes yeah. into the second half. Gary Neville. Cole in space. Brings it down. It's Andy Cole! Oh, it's a great goal from Andy Cole! A fantastic strike from an ace striker. A speculative deep pass from Gary Neville from close to the halfway line. Cole in tons of space. Sol Campbell nowhere near him. Brings the ball down with one, tips it up with another little flick, and then chips it over Ian Walker. What an absolutely gorgeous goal. Um, I mean, wow. Yeah, absolutely stunning. Took the roof, roof off Old Trafford, obviously. And I think at that point, we, we just felt 
this is it. We're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna squander this now. Even though it was quite, still quite early on in the game, really. And it was still, you know, an, almost an entire yeah. half to go. It felt like breathing space almost. Yeah, a stunning, stunning goal. And really well deserved from Cole, who I keep on saying, you know, just had the season of his life. Absolutely brilliant. And, um, I mean, you, you put in your notes, it was redemption after 1995. You know, last day of the season, you missed a, a series of sitters and just to, to see him, Finished so coolly was was just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to see. He brought it down that first touch. He just didn't didn't take it quite into his path, did it? He had to kind of arc his body back again, and it, he just felt for that moment it had gone. But he just managed to somehow get his foot right round it and arc it over the keeper. Yeah. I can't imagine what that game would have been like if United hadn't scored oh, relatively early in the in the in the second half and actually were chasing the chasing a goal with you know twenty minutes to go, fifteen minutes to go, ten minutes about... to go, but it, uh, I mean, it was horrendous enough yeah. as it was watching it with United two one up and, and knowing that. I feel sick you know, thinking about it now. And, and that was it. But oh, getting that goal when we did was absolutely essential. Mm. I think. I think. Rich, at that point, what was it? Did it make sense that United went to try and kill the game? Because I mean, from what I can recall, there was only really one decent chance for Spurs in the rest of the game. You know, maybe David May touched the ball with his hand from Iverson's header, and then Carney scoring for Arsenal, meaning that United basically had to shut up shop. Did United yeah. do the right thing by trying to kill the game off? Because, you know, I mean, I guess we didn't really come under too much pressure after that, did we? But it's pressure, isn't it? You know, that the pressure of that situation. And, and but in that circumstance, it's just completely... It's, it's, it's human nature to just... Sit back. You, you fi- you've been behind. You've finally turned it around and got got ahead. And just and just wanting to, to, to breathe and just hold on to what you've got. But we got. were so bad at that as well. We've always been so bad at that. We were. We were, we were bad at it, but... I, I think there was an element with that Spurs team. It wasn't a great Spurs team. Genelar was off. They didn't have an enormous number of weapons that they could hurt us with. And there must have been... We must have just thought, you know what, we can we can play this game at our own our own pace now. We don't need to push it. We don't need to take any chances. And, and this Spurs team hasn't necessarily got the weapons to really break us down. So I can completely understand it in, in hindsight because the, the, the tension and the pressure in the players as there was in the stadium must have just been absolutely enormous. Yeah, absolutely. So what was the feeling like in the ground when the referee blew his final whistle, Paul? It's just elation. I mean, you can imagine it was absolute elation after such a, a season of real tension throughout, really, from from, from day one. And I think, um, obviously, with, 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 with the, to the two cup finals looming as well, it felt like we needed to win the league. We needed to. If we didn't win the league, I mean, Fergie used to say, didn't he, if we hadn't won the league, we probably wouldn't have won any of it. And it was that close as well, right to the, to the final. You know, when you, you look at the Champions League final, went right right to the death and the league went right to the death and it's just how United do things, isn't it? And I'd say, for me, it was probably after the, the first title, probably the D1 that meant the most in a way. Mm. Yeah, unbelievable. Absolutely privileged to be there. One of those title races that have been so stressful and so close that you have that little period of, of, of elation. For, I don't know, I probably had like half an hour, 45 minutes of elation afterwards and then I was just absolutely <laughs> yeah, drained. And also because you've because you've got something else to come after it as well, that you, you're almost like yeah okay we've done the first bit but we've got all this other stuff to to do as well you know if if we'd won Straight the title back into fear yeah yeah exactly if we'd won the title like that and there'd be nothing else after it I think the whole summer would have just have been one summer of of joy and you know just a really great summer but you know we did that and and it was great and. It, the elation was there, but there was just this huge amount of relief, and then this realization that we've got these two more games 
that were going to be at least probably as stressful as that. Ultimately, the cup final wasn't, but you, you imagined at the time these two more games that were going to be just like that. And it, it almost felt like going on to the sort of Fergie's next great team who won, won the European Cup, winning winning the title and then having to play the European mm. Cup final after it. And you like and and and, it's, and such such competitive titles as well, and then Liverpool being in the mix at that time in the mid two thousands as well, and and getting over the line, having that joy, getting over the line, and thinking, Christ, we've got this 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 really massive game to come after. Yeah, this we time. were just primed for stress by that point, though, weren't we? You know, the entire month of May yeah. up until that point had just been tight games, tight games, tight games. So by the time we got three through, months, three or four months. No, well, I mean, it was specifically May, though, wasn't it? You know, as I said, we didn't win a single game apart from the Newcastle game by more than one goal, and we drew the couple there to begin with as well. But by that point as well, we'd, we'd watched as many incredible games and, and games that turned on incredible moments and, and and late wins and you know that most teams experience in their entire history. We, we'd gone through a season where we probably had six or seven of them. Yeah, it was completely, completely. When it when it happens, it's life affirming, but it's also extremely draining, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It just it just you know, can we just not do something easily? And I suppose I suppose ultimately the FA Cup final was was that kind of nice, relatively comfortable win that, that just gave us a bit of breathing space before the before the Champions League final that we just really needed because yeah, that, that, that the Spurs game and obviously the Champions League final were just continuations of a season that was just ridiculously draining, but but, but amazing to go through. Yeah. I mean, that sort of rattles it yeah. off quite nicely, really, doesn't it? I mean, we've mm. still got the FA Cup and the Champions League to talk about. I mean, two stories that stack up very nicely on their own. So I'm really looking forward to chatting about the FA Cup first. Just before we round off for tonight, because we've been going for quite some time, I don't know whether you've noticed, um, who stands out more than anyone else if you had to choose one player from that crop of players uh, as your, your real totem for that league campaign? You could probably guess mine, I would imagine. Roy Keane for me. Gasp. Yeah. I, I always think of, of Beckham's goals. I always think yeah. of his free kicks and, and, and obviously and his corners as well. His corners just, about him. I, I don't think we'll, we'll ever see a player who, at, at United again, who, with, with the quality from set pieces and the quality of, of crossing as well. I mean, you could argue he's the greatest crosser of all time, or certainly the modern era in any at any club. I don't um, know, Richard. Is it, is it modern if it's twenty years ago? <laughs> I think I think this is the modern era. Look, the modern era is my lifetime. So just just go yeah, with it. Yeah. Sorry, fine, yeah. fine, fine, um, fine. Yeah, my um, talk yeah. about Beckham. My little boy watched a clip of him recently, and I can't remember who who it was against now. But he got to the byline and and did that thing that Beckham could do, where it was impossible to cross the ball mm. to even get the ball into the area. But he didn't do that. He got it pinpoint accuracy. And my little boy was just, you know, he's not seen that much of Beckham. He just, wow, how did he do that? And he's, he got that, had that so often with with David Beckham, watching him live or on TV or whatever, where you just thought, how has he done that? How? I don't think I don't think I've seen a player at United with a better technique for striking a football in any no. in any context, whether whether it's an open player, whether it's from a from a set piece or whatever. No, it was incredible. <clears throat> just 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 the technique, the ability that he had, just to to produce any cross. That was required, or any free kick that was required. Do it so moment. often in the biggest moments as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 it even and we'll obviously talk about it with the European Cup final and stuff. But but even to, you know you could move him inside. You could play him as an orthodox midfielder as well. And he had a passing range that was you know amongst the best in the world as well. You know if if, if David Beckham had pace, he'd possibly have been one of the greatest footballers that ever played the game. 
but that, that's just that one that one thing that he wasn't he wasn't super quick and I think ultimately that that was the difference between him being an absolutely world class player and being one of one of the greatest players that played the game. Last question for the evening, I would say, is this the biggest league triumph of Sir Alex Ferguson's career, Rich? No, purely because. I think there are league, he's won league titles where where United have been more down on their asses and he's as a manager dragged United back from real setbacks to win to win titles against opponents who you know particularly in the the 2006 2007 season where he essentially had to come back against the Chelsea side with Mourinho that had unlimited money to spend and then to drag United to a title against against City with diminished resources really later on. In terms of pure management, they were greater titles, but obviously the context of the season makes 1999 a great season, although I don't think it was his greatest league title, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I mean, he's won the title with, with much lesser players than, than he, he had in, in, in 99. Obviously, the, the fact he's won the treble... It's just ridiculous, it's incredible. I think the first title as well, obviously getting that monkey off United's back. There have been so many, I mean, you could list, sort of list every one. But yeah, I think in terms of iconic titles, then yeah, obviously, you know, you probably put it up there. But um, for me, it was probably the first one, just because it, it, it got that monkey off the back. Mm. Fergie's best sides and best, best titles came out of him wanting to dislodge another team from their perch. So so his initial his initial target was Liverpool. And ultimately it was, it was strange in that Liverpool kind of declined at the time at the time that United got good and so ultimately they weren't the the, the preeminent side that he beat to his to his first title. But but the best seasons always came from that. So from from Wenger, from Mourinho, City's millions. He's always needed a, a great competitor against him to to create his greatest sides. And I think, obviously, certainly, certainly in this case, it was an enormous achievement to beat that Arsenal side to the title. They were a great side, and at, at that time, you had the perfect blend of attacking flair and, and defensive solidity. So it was, it was that definitely an achievement, and it was one of the moments where Fergie had to rise to not being preeminent and had to, to claw his way back to the top of the tree. And at any point in his career, he always did it. Which is an incredible thing, really, to be able to still be able to do that over the course of twenty odd years, mm. even with football changing, with with opponents. You know, even you could say at this time, United were the ninety nine. United was still the financial powerhouse in in English football. We should have gone on to dominate Europe. I think we really, should have done really. The following year was really disappointing. Yeah, not winning the European Cup again, losing, and even the, the years that because we've seen over the years that it's almost impossible, or seems almost impossible to retain a Champions League so fair enough you know you, but it, you just feel looking back I mean you, you feel looking back you know you know I don't know you should have won way more Champions Leagues mm. got a bit unlucky at times but this particular squad of players the, the you know the, the the age that they were and, and the, you just felt yeah they, they, they should really have done better going forward but it was an incredible achievement the trouble absolutely yeah, incredible. It was. I, I don't think we'll ever see anything quite like it again I think what happened the subsequent two years is that the Premier League became much easier for for United the following two yeah, seasons. Too easy. That almost took the took the edge off in the in the Champions League. Mm. The, the, yeah. the important thing about this was that this, this this league season was never never in the bag. There was never it was just comfort. intense, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely had to intense. keep going. Absolutely every game. Every game was from the first minute. You've got to you've got to win this game, otherwise we're in exactly, trouble. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that kind of drove it on to to the success we had. 
Gentlemen, let's leave it there for the evening and we'll reconvene for what is going to be a very, very fun chat about that FA Cup run from 98 to 99. Paul Rich, it's been an absolute goddamn pleasure recounting all these tales. And the other thank you is to you. Yes, you for listening. We sincerely hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, you'll have our eternal thanks for any social media shares or ratings and reviews on iTunes or any other podcast app that you can manage. It'd be a huge, huge help for us. And don't forget, during this football lockdown period, Pitch Sports are running simulations of all the currently suspended games on Football Manager and FIFA 2000, alongside running competitions, including the chance to win a signed shirt by none other than Paul Gascoigne. So you can download Pitch Sport from the Google Play or Apple stores and also don't forget we're always available to chat anything United related on Twitter you can find me at at you and Len it's Paul at Paul Gunning one Rich at Rich Red Voices and our website can be found at redvoices.net and the podcast can be found on SoundCloud the Apple Podcast app Spotify and Stitcher have yourselves a great week we'll be back with part two focusing on the FA Cup sometime next week please look after yourselves sending lots of love take care bye bye